Well, good morning, friends. Glad to have you with us this morning. Thanks for braving the elements and, uh, and coming out here. I don't, I don't know. I'm a big fan of Katy Perry, but West Bowl's praise band. I'm a pretty big fan of them, too. Man, awesome. Awesome job. Thank you guys so much for that. Again, thanks for coming out, even in the snow. Uh, from California, and I'm starting to learn your lingo out here. Uh, uh, chance of snow means two to three inches in my driveway. Uh, light flurries means six inches in my driveway. Uh, snow means 10 inches, and I've yet to see heavy snow, and I'm terrified to death uh, of the morning that I do see that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, it's coming. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. Grateful that you're with us this morning. Lots of cool things happening at this church. If you're joining us for the first time, first time in a long time, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, God is moving in this place, and so we just want you to be warned. I uh, want you to be ready for it. We're doing a lot of things. Power of One is kind of an initiative that we have. I'd love to give you an update on that. We've been using the funds. We do a dollar in the bin. Uh, each and every person, after we leave the service, we put a dollar in this bin, and the staff takes that money on Monday and just blesses a family uh, the very next day. And so we've been blessing some families. Uh, there's a family, uh, actually a lady that serves this church and helps us to clean this space. We were able to give her some of that money to help her with some expenses. A family with an unexpected pregnancy, we came alongside of them and helped them with some things. A family that had some vandalism on their home and on their car. We're going to try to help them out as well. So well done, church. So proud of you for doing that. Our donate one is different this month. Uh, we had kind of two be announced in the bulletin. Well, here's the announcement. Uh, Shar came to me this morning, said there's a, a school in Thornton Thornton, uh, I think. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> and uh, it, it's a low-income school, K through 8. I think it's a public school, but they don't have a single book in their library. And so this church is going to step in and fill that gap. So if you want, over the next couple of weeks, in the month of February, go through your kids' books, K through 8, see what's age-appropriate, bring a box with us, we'll stack them in the foyer, take them to that school, and say so we want to bless you. Uh, from West Bowl. So that'll be kind of a cool uh, donate one together. So a lot of other things. Gosh, there's just so much to tell you. I'm just so proud of you guys. So excited about what God's doing in this place. But, uh, but we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started a new series called The Story. It's a series where we're walking through the entire Bible from cover to cover and just trying to make sense of that crazy book. It's, it's hard to get through sometimes. There's a lot of information. So this series gives us certain characters and certain stories, certain parts, and it helps us to piece them all together to show how they're all connected, but more than that, to show how they all tell a much larger story, the story of Jesus, story of God's love, story of God's loss, and a story ultimately of his gift of eternal life. And so hope you've been enjoying this story so far. If you haven't already, go out into the foyer, uh, grab one of these books. They're our free gift to you. We'd love for you to be a part of this journey with us. We want you in this word, in this story, because it will be a story where you will find what makes sense of, give meaning to your own story. So join us on that. Uh, today we're in chapter four of that story. We're moving from the book of Genesis into the book of Exodus. But before we do that, let me summarize as, as quickly as I can. It's always a scary thing for a preacher to say. Uh, but, but here's my, my summary of the first three chapters. It goes like this. Chapter one, God made it all, only to have humanity make a mess of it all. Chapter two, God committed himself to fixing and blessing it all. Chapter three, God proves that he's in it all. Boom, book of Genesis. Any questions? Good, let's move forward. Uh, before I do, let me pray. Let's get into this thing. God, we invite you into this place. We want you to speak to us. We want your story to become our story and vice versa. Please make it so. Help us to lose ourselves and find ourselves in your truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Start off by telling you a story about a high-powered uh, attorney from New York City. He goes to Texas to do some dove hunting, and after several hours, he finally shoots a dove. But it falls behind a barbed wire fence. 
So the attorney thinks nothing of it. He just climbs over the fence. But as he's doing so, the farmer who owns that land stops him dead in his tracks. Son, you're not welcome here. The attorney kind of puffs up his chest and says, uh, um, well, well, I shot this dove, and if, if you don't let me have it, well, then I'll just sue you. That's not how we do it down here, boy, the farmer said. See, down here, we got the Texas three-kick rule. The attorney looks at him and says, the Texas what? The Texas three-kick What in the world is the Texas three-kick rule? He says, it's easy. I'll kick you three times, and then you kick me three times. We keep doing it till one of us gives up. The winner takes the bird. Attorney thought about it for a little while, and now he can't get out of it, so he agrees to it. Cowboy starts, wearing his big heavy booty, stomps as hard as he can on the attorney's foot. The guy cringes in pain, only for the cowboy to do it a second time. The guy falls to the ground. The farmer goes over and kicks him a third time. Somehow he's able to get to his feet. He staggers to his feet, and he whimpers out, okay, okay, my turn. The farmer says, nah, I give up. You can have it. See, most of us, we can't sympathize with the attorney, but I tell you who can, the nation of Israel, especially here in chapter 4. On page 43 of our story, it's called the Egyptian three kick, and it goes something like this. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous, the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for the Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. In your copy, go ahead and write Egyptian three kick right there. Let's review real fast. Abraham is a man who's chosen by God to be the, the beginning of the greatest rescue operation of all time, the rescue of humanity itself. God promises that through Abraham, one day, through his descendants and his genealogy, will come Jesus Christ. And that genealogy starts with a son named Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has 12. And last week we learned that, that one of the 12, Joseph, became the second most important man in the entire world, second only to Pharaoh. And yet as soon as you turn the page from chapter three to chapter four, things have changed drastically. Joseph has died, a new Pharaoh has come in, and the Israelites have gone from the rich and powerful to the slaves of the powerful. Imagine that they were asking, what up, God? What happened? Things were going great, and now this? And not just for a couple of afternoons, but for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it's in those moments, in those moments when you feel like God has forgotten about you, or that God's given up on you, when you feel like what's happening to you is outside the promises or plans of God, it's in those moments when, when things just aren't making sense, that they aren't adding up, it's in those moments when God seems furthest away where God typically shows up in the biggest way. It's in those moments when you think he's done with you, where he comes and he delivers you. You see, we normally see discord, decay, destruction, and death, but God comes in and he sees an opportunity for deliverance. That's what chapter four is all about. Now, I know that when you Google search the word deliverance, creepy images from a 1972 horror film come up. Kids, do not watch this. You'll be scarred for life. Now, that type of deliverance is disturbing. 
But there's another type, the type I want to tell you about today. See, the story of Moses, the story of the Exodus, is all about a great deliverance, a great God doing only what he can do, taking those who are trapped and tormented, those who are in captivity and confinement, those who are stuck in angst and anguish, and he frees them, he rescues them, he delivers them from those things to much greater things. And he doesn't just do it here on earth, but he promises to do it for all of eternity. Let me show you. In the text that we just read, we learn that a new Pharaoh takes over. And he fears Joseph's descendants so much that in addition to make life, making life miserable for them, he decides to start taking life from them. He moves from slave driver to mass murderer. And he orders for all of the little baby male Hebrew boys to be thrown into the Nile River. I guess his philosophy was if you can't work them to death, you'll just drown them to death. Well, one Hebrew baby mama manages to save her little son. She hides him for a while, and then what she actually does is she puts him in the Nile River. And through an amazing providential set of circumstances, God uses the very river that, that Pharaoh wanted to use for death, and God uses it to bring life. That's what God does. And so he takes this little baby boy, and he sends it down the river, and guess who finds the little baby, Pharaoh's daughter? And she has compassion on her. Her motherly instinct gets the best of her. And not only does she want to save the baby, she wants to raise the baby. She names him Moses which means drawn out of the water. And so this little Hebrew baby boy who grew up under Pharaoh in Egypt, he will one day lead millions of Hebrews out from under the Pharaoh in Egypt. But before he can do that, before he can be a part of and lead this great deliverance, before he can help people see God, he has to personally be delivered. What's so funny about this story is that, that Moses... Was, was actually the freest one in the story. He's living in the palace and his people are enslaved. Then later he's in a field while his people are enslaved. So it looks like he's free, but nothing could be further from the truth. Moses is actually the one in probably the greatest captivity in all the story. Here's the first takeaway I want you to get this morning. The story of Moses is the story of our earthly deliverance. You see, God needed to deliver that man from some pretty big things. And I imagine the same is true for us. The first that God needed to deliver him from was his failure. See, after growing up in Egypt, it's believed that maybe around age 30, maybe even age 40, Moses is walking around and he does something terrible. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And you can imagine, this guy's probably in kind of an awkward spot. He's a Hebrew descendant, but he's grown up as an Egyptian, so who should he side for? Well, he sides for the Hebrew. And he takes matters, not to mention the law, into his own hand. So he sides with the Hebrew and he kills the Egyptian. And then in haste, he just tries to cover it up and sweep it under the rug. But as most of us know, skeletons don't stay in the closet. And dead Egyptians don't stay in the dirt. And so go figure, killing Egyptians was a no-no in Egypt. Who knew? So Moses takes off, a fugitive, running for his own life. And after a while, he ends up settling down in a no-name place called Midian. And there he finds a wife, he has a family, becomes a shepherd. So the first 40 years as Egyptian as son to Pharaoh, the next 40 years living as far away from Egypt and Pharaoh as he possibly could. And those 40 years are probably quiet, quiet years. They're probably years that are relatively insignificant, nothing great happens. It's probably 40 years where Moses was filled with feelings of regret and remorse, and I think replays of what happened, of what could have been, of maybe what should have been. So you think waiting for dad for a few hours to get home from work after you got in school, after you got in trouble at school, you thought that was bad? Imagine waiting for 40 years. Just wait till your father comes home. Right? It's that feeling of, I've done something wrong and there will be a punishment for it. 
there will be major consequences because of my actions. And I imagine that for 40 years, Moses felt that way in the desert. I've done something horribly, horribly wrong. And we know that Moses was in a bad place emotionally because of what he says later in the story. So one day as a shepherd, God comes and he miraculously interrupts Moses' daily, crazy, wild shepherd lifestyle. He comes through this miraculous flame. The flame doesn't consume the bush that it's burning. So Moses goes over to see what's happening. And once God gets his attention through this bush, God tells Moses that just like this bush has been set ablaze, so his heart has been set ablaze for his people. He now wants to rescue his people from Egypt. And he tells Moses that he is just the man to lead this operation. He wants Moses, he wants to use Moses to deliver his people. Now their time in Egypt started off well, it's turned sour, and now God says, I want it to come to an end. And some people would respond by saying, no way, Jose. Well, Moses says, no way, Yahweh. If you don't like that one, it's just getting worse, people. <laughs> but like many of us, we're overwhelmed by the invitation of God, aren't we? We're, we're over, overcome by the commission of God. Moses is not only caught off guard by this invitation and this commission, he's overcome by feelings of shame and inadequacy. See, God says, Moses, you're just the man to lead people out of Egypt. And he comes out with a series of excuses. The first thing he says is, God, who am I to lead this deliverance? Who am I? Such an interesting and incredibly insightful statement. The last words we heard Moses speak were, oh no, what have I done? And now we hear him 40 years later say, who am I? And I think you put those two phrases together. He's living a life of regret. You might think it's a statement of humility. I think it's a statement of heartache. God, I'm not sure if you know this, but, but I grew up there. I grew up in Egypt and things didn't turn out too well. I didn't leave on the best of terms. I'm a wanted man in that place. The last time I saw Pharaoh, yeah, he was chasing me with a frown on his face and a sword in his hand. I'm the last guy you want for this job. I have no credibility. I tried once and failed. I messed things up back there. I, 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 I. And that's what God was saying too. I, 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 Moses. I know you've tried and failed. I know you don't have a stellar track record. I know your past is full of regrets and mistakes. I know you've been hiding out here for 40 years, but it's not about you, Moses. It's not about your past, Moses. It's not about your mistakes. It's about me. I have a heart for my people. I'm the one who cares. I will be with you. I will be sending you. I will do this deliverance, but I just need you to be a part of it. Even though you screwed things up royally back there, I need you to go back to the royalty who is there. Your past, even with all the pain and the shame, with all the hurt and the heartache, the mistakes and the mess, it somehow, Moses, perfectly situates you to help other people out. You see, Moses, you know Egypt. You're not enamored by Egypt. And you've already once left Egypt. So I'll take your messy, mistake-ridden past and I'll do something incredible with it in the future. Moses, I want to use you to deliver other people, but first, I've got to deliver you from your past. Isn't that probably true for a lot of us in here too? Whether it's a past abortion, a past relationship, a past divorce, a past lapse in judgment, maybe it's a past that's haunted you for 40 years or 40 days or just for 40 hours. 
You are being enslaved by what happened back there. And I want you to know this morning, whatever happened back there, whatever went down back there, whatever you did back there, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. Okay, well, scratch that. It matters, but only to the degree that you allow it to draw you closer to God, only to the degree that you let it humble you and, and help you to recognize you need God and are dependent on God. See, the story of Moses, it's our story. This is our story. We've all failed, haven't we, in one way or another? Maybe it was a parent or a coach or a teacher or a sibling or a child. We let some people down. We messed some things up. We've made mistakes that we're not proud of, and we've tried to cover things up, or we've just run away from things. And those mistakes, whether you recognize it or not, they are enslaving you. They are stopping you from being a blessing to other people. You are living in captivity to your past. And God wants and needs to deliver you from it. But it doesn't stop there. See, the second thing Moses needed deliverance from was his fear. Some people are enslaved to what happened back there. Some people are enslaved to the fear of what will happen out there. So God's got to save us from our future fears. Good old Moses had both fears, had both problems. He brings up a second excuse as to why he can't help God. And it revolves around his future. He basically says, God, I don't really know that much about you. I don't have all the answers. I'm not trained theologically. I'm no pastor. And then he goes on to say, and worse than that, I'm not a great speaker. I never took public speaking class in college. I st stumble and I st stutter over my words. I was going to make a mess of things, God. I'm the last guy you want to do this job. These are all statements of fear. Fear that he doesn't know enough. Fear he's not qualified enough. Fear that he's not gifted enough. Some are burdened by the past. Others are terrified of the future. And both describe Moses. And what I love about God is he comes down in this moment and he alleviates all of Moses' fears. You know how? By telling him his name. Seems odd. Reminds me of what happened out at Pepperdine. So we were doing ministry at Pepperdine the last seven or eight years and there was this guard gate at one of the entrances to get in. And this guy named Barry was one of the guards there. And I would drive past, kind of the folks that lived on campus could go around the guard gate and I would wave and, and Barry would wave. But Barry would always wave and yell out, good to see you, Joe. And I'm going uphill in a stick shift and probably a little too fast, so I never stopped to correct him. Just like, yeah, you too, Barry. Well, six months of this, he really thinks my name is Joe. And now I'm embarrassed. I can't, I can't correct him. So one day we're in the cafe and I'm with a few of my buddies and we're getting food and guess who comes up? Barry. He's like, Joe. I said, oh, Barry, it's so good to see you. But Barry, Barry, my friends call me Thomas. <laughs> and he's like, cool, Joe. I'll keep that in mind. But, but in response to all of Moses' fears, I, I don't know if I have what it takes to go where you want me to go. God says, let me tell you my name. You've always called me Elohim, which means powerful creator God. That's a good name for me. But my friends call me Yahweh. My friends call me the great I am. And the best way for me to alleviate all of your fears, Moses, is to tell you that I am. Now, anybody who had an English teacher with half a brain learned that I am, period, is an incomplete sentence. That's not how it goes. You need something after it, right? I am beautiful. I am bald. I'm cheering for both teams to lose today. <laughs> I, I am something. <laughs> the 
But God doesn't have to finish the sentence with anything. He says, I am, period. God's name is the great I am because there's no word that would sufficiently fill that space or that would sufficiently finish that sentence. I am, period. God is the great I am who makes up for everything that Moses is not. And the same is true for us. God wants you to know you're not strong enough to overcome that addiction, but I am. You're not stable enough to get through the death of a loved one, but I am. You're not smart enough or creative enough to get out of the mess that you've made, but I am. Everything you're not, everything you need, everything you fear, guess what? I am those things and then some. Greater than those things. I'm bigger than those things. You're not, but you are filled with and accompanied by the great I am. Period. And just in case we question who this great I am is, because everybody in chapter 4 seems to be questioning it. Well, who are you? Who is this God? Who is this? Everybody's asking. God loves to educate you. Who am I? Who is the great I am? Well, let me show you. How about first frustrating all of Pharaoh's plans? The harder he pushes my people down, the greater they will become. You like them apples? Oh, not, not enough for you? How about a miraculous flame that defies all laws of nature? That's who I am. Oh, still not enough. Okay, how about nine plagues that specifically attack and undermine all the Egyptian gods? That's who I am. Oh, still not enough. Okay, fine. One final plague that will prove to you, Pharaoh, and prove to all the world, I am the one who gives and takes away life. And when the I am is in it, no one escapes, not even your son, Pharaoh. Who is this Lord? Who is the one behind the deliverance? Who is the great I am? Oh, just the one controlling the Nile, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock, your skin, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, life and death. That's the one. That's the great I am. And he's with you. He's behind you. You have nothing to fear out there because the I am is with you right here. So if God's asking you to do something difficult right now, for some of you, he's probably asking you to stop something. For others of you, he's probably asking you to start something. For some of you, he might be asking you to, to confess to something, to be honest about something, to serve someone, to reach out to someone, to forgive someone. Know that you can do it, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. You can do it because the great I am is everything you're not. You don't gotta worry about your past. He can use all of it for good. You don't got to be afraid about the future because the great I am is with you. Let God deliver you from your future fears as well. So some of us, we're burdened by what happened back there. Some of us are afraid of what's going to happen out there. And some of us are doing some crazy things right here. And that's the last thing God needed to deliver Moses from was from his fake gods, his futile gods. Now, we talked a lot about this in our series this summer, in the God Is series. God is a great deliverer. Go back and listen to that message. But in that, in that sermon, we looked at how God specifically attacked and called out by name the different Egyptian gods of the day. And then we said, I am greater than those things. Exodus 12, 12, page 51 of your story. He says this, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am greater than all other gods. And I think what God was trying to prove to Moses and to the Egyptians and to the Israelites, there's, there's no God like him. See, Moses spent the first 40 years as an Egyptian, so probably worshiping all those gods. The next 40 years, he was under a father-in-law who was a pagan. So he was probably worshiping. He was all confused as to who God was. And God came down and said, let me clarify for you things real fast, Moses. 
This is who God is. This is who I am. And all the other gods you look to will be insufficient, insignificant. They will be powerless to save you and to rescue you. And this is a truth that we have to be reminded of today. We can so easily find ourselves believing in and trusting in the gods of our age, right? The things that are all around us, we can bow down and worship them. But what was true in Egypt is also true today. What you think will save you actually enslaves you. It's amazing how it happens, but it does. If it's any other God but the one true God, if you bow down and worship it thinking it will save you, it will turn around and enslave you. Think about money. Or if you think it will save you, well, what do you start doing? You start worshiping it. You start working so hard for it. You're consumed by it. You're enslaved by it. If you think your job will save you, same thing. You start bowing down and offering your life on the altar of workaholism. If you think that stuff or sex or success, all of which I like in and of themselves, but if you think they will save you, you will end up being enslaved by them. You will give your life to them because you want more of them and they will ask of more from you. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed this in your reading this week, but at the bottom of page 48 and 49, we learn that the Egyptian magicians were able to duplicate some of the same miracles that Moses and Aaron performed. Oh, a, a stick to a snake? Yeah, we can do that. Oh, blood or water to blood? Yeah, we can do that. But at the top of page 50, I want you to highlight, circle, and, and underline that phrase. It says, there came a point when the Egyptian gods could no longer match the one true God. That, that's what's true about the gods of our age. Those things, in and of themselves, yeah, they can bring you some happiness. They can bring you some fulfillment. They can bring you some purpose to a point. But there will come a point, and I'm pretty convinced it's when the storm comes, Jesus says when life gets hard, when pain, when suffering, when loss, and ultimately when death come, those little G-gods will stop being as powerful as you thought they were. There will come a point when they can no longer match the power of the one true God. And so why don't you just start worshiping him now as opposed to wait till yours run out? Worship him now. There will come a point when all other gods will be powerless against our God. So you see, guys, the story of Moses, it's the story of our earthly deliverance. It's the story of a man being freed from his failures, from his fears, and from his fake gods. And Moses needed to be delivered from those things because God wanted to use him to bless and serve and help and free and rescue others. I'm going fast today. I'm excited. This is a story. This is our story. What happened to Moses is also promised to happen to you. If you're afraid of what, what happened back then, if you're, if you're burdened by what happened back then, let God deliver you from that. If you're terrified of what will happen out here, let God deliver you from that. And if you're bowing down to stupid things right here, let God deliver you from that. And like Nathan said so well last week, without any notes. How does he do it without any notes? I just don't understand that. It's amazing. But, but he did it without any notes. And what he said is, it's not just for you. God doesn't want to deliver you from all those things just for you. He wants to free you so he can use you to free others. You know those coworkers, Your ex? Your neighbors? Your classmates? God wants to rescue you from your past, from your present, and from or your future and your present. He wants to rescue you from all that stuff so you can help rescue other people. But there's a second story of deliverance in this chapter, and it's one that we almost always hear about. Let me just share a few thoughts from that. It's the story of Israel's deliverance, the story of the Exodus. So the story of Moses is the story of our earthly deliverance. The story of Israel's deliverance is the story of our eternal deliverance. So Moses is rescued earthly, and Israel is rescued, I think, eternally. 
See, the Exodus is a preview for, for what will happen to everybody who's in Christ. The Israelites were trapped in slavery. Well, we're trapped in sin. Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go without a fight. Well, evil won't let us go without a fight. Moses is sent by God to deliver people from bondage. Jesus is sent by God to deliver people from bondage. God exercises a judgment culminating in the death of a firstborn. At the cross, God exercises a judgment culminating in the death of a firstborn. The blood of a lamb covers and protects God's people under that same blood, the blood of the lamb of Christ. We are covered. See, the Exodus is a story that God not only wants you to, to hear about, God wants you to be a part of it, and not just now, but for all of eternity. He wants you to experience the Exodus forever. He wants you to know that just as his people were baptized in the Red Sea, so you can be baptized into a new life. Just as the Holy Spirit, it says, swept through the waters, so the Holy Spirit can come and sweep through your life just as the blood of a spotless lamb was spread on a wooden frame to save people, so the blood of a spotless man was spread on a wooden frame to save people. I want each and every person here to experience an earthly deliverance. I want you to be freed from your past, your future, and your present. I want that for you so bad. But you know what I want more? I want you to experience an eternal deliverance in Christ and not just you, but your friends, your families, your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers. So two things this morning as we wrap up. I'm going to ask the band. Why don't you guys go ahead and come on up here at this point. I'm going to ask them to come and sing this incredible song that I think summarizes this message so perfectly. And as they sing, I want you to do a couple of things for me. We, we gave everybody a, a form, this little green slip of paper. I may have lost mine. But you, you, you see them. You know they're awkward. These blue, blue slips. I want you to fill that out during this song. And on that slip, it basically says, I'm praying fervently for, and I want you to write somebody's name in that blank space. And if it's your name, then please write your name. Be honest. If you need deliverance first, then write that there. Or write the name of a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor. Write somebody's name there, and then write specifically what you want them to be delivered from. And then you are going to commit to praying for that person over the next seven days. I want you to have that, that, that loud, oh, here it is right here. I didn't notice that. I was about to say, you can't miss it, idiot. I just missed it. I want you to find this throughout the whole week, and I want you to pray for that person, that they would experience an earthly deliverance from whatever it is they're being held in captivity to. But then more than that, I want you to pray for their eternal deliverance as well, that they would come to know Christ as Lord. And if, if that describes you, if you haven't ever done that, man, it's time this morning. Yeah, we got a great game today. It, today is about your victory. Christ's victory that you get to experience. And so if you've never been delivered, if you've never said to Jesus, I give you my past, my future, and my present, I give you my eternity. Free me, rescue me, save me from everything that wants to hold me back and hold me down. If you've never said that, today's the day. So I'm gonna be down front. I don't know, maybe Ryan, uh, Brad, some others may be down here in front as well. Some of them are Stephen ministers, those wearing some blue name tags, they will be down front as well as in the foyer. Today's the day. Today is the day for your deliverance, earthly and eternal. Oh, it's a good day. Let me pray before we jump into the song. God, we ask that the message of the Exodus, the story of the Exodus, will pierce our hearts and that we will lose and find ourselves in it. That like Moses, we will be delivered from the things holding us back in this life. And then like the Israelites, we will be delivered from things holding us back from the life to come. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.